at the insistence of the Senate and the people of Rome. I accept the highest office of our great republic. Well, hello. Welcome back to The Life of Caesar. Uh, this wasn't supposed to be the last episode of Caligula, but uh, turns out it probably will be. If you've been following on Facebook, Ray and I were intending on jumping straight into Claudius after the last episode you heard on Caligula. But then I've decided to take a few weeks off and uh, I'm going to drive around the country with Chrissy and we're going to do some events for my investing podcast with Tony Coniston. Uh, but then I had reached out to the partial historians who've been on the show before and suggested that I think we did a show with them. I did a show with them at the end of Augustus and I thought it might be fun to do a show with them at the end of Caligula, get their point of view on Caligula. You've heard mine, you've heard Ray's. So I thought I'd invite them on. So here we are. Here I am, no Ray, because it's an Australian thing and they record on in the afternoon on a Sunday, I think, and it's like 3 a.m. for Ray. So here, here I am with Dr. Fiona Radford and Dr. Peter Greenfield from the Partial Historians. Dr. Fee and Dr. P. <laughs> hello, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. How are you? Excellent. It's actually a little bit sunny, uh, which is a surprise. It's been kind of cloudy all day, but now it's nice, and now we're inside. Disaster. Inside, the place that we've all become much more familiar with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, ex- it feels except very for normal a- now. Except for us podcasters, because uh, I know, I think you guys have real jobs still, but I very rarely leave my podcast studio, so it was all the same, really. How, no, how did jealous, you guys fare? <laughs> how, did, how did you fare through the lockdown, the ISO? It was pretty crazy for both of us, because we're, uh, we're both teachers, so teaching remotely was just oodles it's of been fun. been a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, either of you have children? Yes. No, thank God. <laughs> I, I I have stepchildren, so yeah. <laughs> How old? They are teenagers, so okay. super fun to keep them inside with the parents. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as my six. Coping? Well, my six-year-old drove us absolutely nuts for a couple of months. But uh, anyway, in the whole scheme of things, particularly what's what's been going on in the world this year, uh, I guess we all consider ourselves lucky. Yeah, now, well, definitely America has certainly uh, become way more interesting over the weekend. <laughs> oh yeah, look, Australia, God. despite all the odds, continues to be the lucky country. So, you know, oh, I'll take that. We've Well, <laughs> despite half of it burning up at uh, the beginning of the year. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. You know, yeah. Yes, and our economy, you know, in complete shambles, we're, we're still doing okay, comparatively. Oh, there you yeah, go. People are killing each other with arrows in the street, and I can't think that counts for something. <laughs> Well, yes. Now, listen, uh, I wanted to, as I mentioned to you uh, in my message, Ray and I just finished our Caligula series this week, and I really, in doing it, I've been eager to get you back on to share with me your respective views on Caligula. But just as I was preparing for it this morning, and I realized that your the handle that you use for a lot of your stuff is P-H-I-S-T, 
historians, P historians, or fist historians, <laughs> fisting. And I thought historians, historians, and Caligula loved a bit of fisting. So I thought, uh, at least according to the classic 1979 film. Uh, oh, yes, we were just talking about that before we got on, actually. <laughs> Neither of us will we... watch it again. <laughs> oh, well, there was when we started our Caligula series, we insisted that our audience sit down and watch it. And then we did a two or three hour episode, blow by blow, of the whole thing. Oh, um, oh no, I, I did listen to that one. <laughs> oh, right. I apologise for that. Horrifying detail. <laughs> well, we, I love it. I, I think it's the greatest. Thing. And in terms of film or television representations of ancient Rome, I think it's uh, tremendously entertaining and holds up very well. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely breaking boundaries and perhaps bringing a sort of truth that uh, people who enjoy history don't necessarily want to face about ancient Rome. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. I mean, I think the fact that it was made uh, 30, uh, 40 odd years ago and it's still shocking to watch yeah um it says something as a statement about the film and how far ahead of its time it was or outside of time but what i try to explain to people is well yes you're supposed to be shocked and horrified that's what they're trying to tell you i think i hope about yeah. <laughs> what life what might have been like the... <laughs> yeah yeah the height of in. imperial <laughs> roman decadence it would have been uh horrifying and shocking to uh, some modern uh, audiences. I think the last time we spoke, it was at the transition from Augustus to uh, Tiberius on our show. Does that sound about right? Does indeed. Does. I don't think we're quite as divided on Caligula as we are about uh, Tiberius, so. Although we're about oh. to find out. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, who wants to start? Do you want to give me your perspective on uh, Caligula? Go. Uh, uh, tell me what you thought. <laughs> well, tell me what you think about the the poor, poor, misunderstood young man. <laughs> I must admit, as usual, I am always quite swayed by the you know the attempts to reevaluate Caligula. Obviously, he was he was definitely a bit of a psycho but I don't think he was universally unpopular. I definitely think that he had some fans that uh, obviously were outside of the Senate uh, and the senators got to write the history and therefore determine his reputation somewhat. What do you reckon, Dr. G? There is a pretty negative uh, literary legacy. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that I really want for Caligula is Tacitus's annals. Yeah. Uh, the loss mm. of that huge gap in that source material from somebody who's not Suetonius and not Dio Cassio. Ah, but Suetonius uh, is so glorious in the detail that he gives us. I mean, <laughs> where would the penthouse film be without Suetonius? <laughs> but I, I do kind of long for another perspective because I think one of the theories that I really quite like about Caligula is that there's this unexplained illness mm. about six months into his ascension. Something mm -hmm. goes wrong and he doesn't ever seem quite the same after that. And... Is the negative tradition pulling that sort of like what might be some kind of mental condition into like a broader sort of negative narrative about what's going on? Or is he actually, he just sort of, he wants popularity so badly, but he just wants people also to do what he tells them. Mm. Um, and this conflict in his personality just sort of leads him down a really dark path. Or was that the first assassination attempt and he became embittered? 
very quickly and saw real or imagined conspiracies everywhere for the next few years. Yeah, I mean, he does struggle. Um, and the family legacy that he's carrying around with him. I was going to say, even even if that wasn't an assassination attempt, I'd be pretty paranoid if I went him after pretty much my entire family has been bumped off, you know, <laughs> in pretty horrible circumstances. But, uh, but yeah, it is also tempting to just see him as someone who is suffering from some sort of mental illness. You could just read him as just being literally mad, and that's kind yeah. of how our primary primary I put that in flesh rabbits our primary sources kind of take it is that he's he's just insane um, mm. and everything that he does is a manifestation of his complete instability as a human and mm-hmm. it's really just gone too far um, mm. you know the whole Drusilla sort of moment um, and how mm. that's navigated and maybe he's grieving uh, mm. <laughs> mm. I feel like that's a narrative that has not been properly explored <laughs> um, he never gets over Drusilla um, it really taints the whole legacy. And, yeah, I, I wonder where this leaves him because you kind of just want to be there on the ground for one day in, say, 39, um, not too early, not too late, um, just mm. to see how it's going. Um, I know you guys have had some fun with uh, with the stories that come out of <laughs> Caligula's reign. Totally, totally made for us this, uh, this period. But, you know, I, going into this, I knew... The, uh, nothing about Caligula except the classic Tinto Brass film, which I think I first saw in my 20s. So that was a long time ago and then rewatched it again a year or two ago. So I, I had the same picture of him that you've just described and I think which is the generally understood version of him, masterfully played by a young, uh, gorgeous Malcolm McDowell. Uh, batshit crazy uh, and uh, just you know with his brilliant blue eyes tearing holes in people's souls and fisting people with large rings and uh, but so I guess in our in our finale episode in in my summation you know if I had to explain him to somebody who who the the person on the street I'd say look this 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 poor this guy um, is the first real born into royalty member of the the julio claudian family yeah um you know or, or julius caesar obviously was a general and died before he could get very far after that augustus was born during a time when this you know his family and julius caesar were just uh you know working members of the aristocracy minor aristocracy and gradually becoming more important in caesar's last 10 years um uh, Tiberius, obviously a, a working general most of his life. When he was born, uh, he, you know, he came again from sort of nobility, aristocracy anyway, not nobility, aristocracy. And, you know, his father gets prescribed. They, they have to go on the run for their life. Then Augustus decides his mother's a hottie and he gets into the, <laughs> he gets into the inner circle. But he's still, he's sort of a, he's unpopular both with the general public and with uh, his own father, his stepfather, um, working general, placeholder, etc., etc. But then you've got, uh, by the time Gaius Jr. is born, Caligula's born, he's born into the royal family. He's born with a silver spoon in his mouth, mm. um, raised in luxury, Augustus tempered uh, uh, luxury, but luxury nonetheless for a Roman brought up believing he's a boy prince. And then his entire family gets wiped out by the guy who's supposed to be 
his seat like his his protector is his uncle more or less his his entire family his his father gets poisoned his mother and brothers get sent to exile then murdered then is you know then and he's all alone then he he's in his mid twenties is in charge of this whole ship then he's then he then he's raised in the last five or six years more or less in Tiberius's sex dungeon in Capri. <laughs> Um, you know, it does things to you. Well, yeah, I, I would hope. Um, and then, then he's thrust into this, and, and so, like, and he, you know, survives the whole Sejanus thing. Where, if you believe Suetonius, you know, there, there, there were continual threats against his life, and Macro was uh, talking Tiberius down. So, like, what kind of psychological and emotional damage does he have by the time he's on the throne? And yet, by all the accounts that we have, his first six months or so, first six to 12 months, he was relatively benign, trying to, you know, tell the Senate, don't worry, we're going back to the good old times, etc., etc. Yeah. So he he doesn't seem, despite all of that, which is, enough, like, he's basically the Michael Jackson of Rome, <laughs> like just a completely fucked up childhood. By yeah, the time... I must admit, I, I do find it very tempting to see Caligula as someone who was obviously not unintelligent, um, you know, and that he's he's smart enough to know when he comes to power that he needs to play the game. But I do find a lot of truth in the idea that he must have been severely warped by both his position in the world, and then also the extreme plotting and treachery and death that was all around him. And I do kind of think that that illness or assassination attempt that happens early in his reign, I really see that as more coincidental. I think he always planned to flip the switch once he felt like he'd established himself. I think he was, I think this was his ultimate sort of revenge on the people that caused the downfall of his family, Um, that he was, that he was waiting for that moment. Because I think the ultimate proof of that is the fact that when he comes into power, one of the things he does, which makes him so popular is he says, Hey, Hey guys, you know what? bygones be bygones see these papers all the stuff to do with my mum and my brothers and their trials and whatever is gone forget about it clean slate and then you know six months down the track oh what do i have here oh let me read them to you and he whips them out again i feel like that's that's got to be you know the ultimate evidence that he was always planning to come back to that at some point i think this could be the negative source tradition though you reckon i mean you keep copies under your bed just in case and you go, I've got a cure book. <laughs> but would you read? Well, he apparently did. He literally had a book called Dagger and Sword. <laughs> but, um, but that's for later. That's, that's for later. Yeah, but no, that's what I mean. Like, if it was your family, would you honestly just get rid of it all and do nothing? And we can see that he's got a really strong protective streak for his family. That's yeah. the thing that really comes across when he first comes into power is he really prioritises bringing back the the ashes of Agrippina the Elder yeah. personally, yeah. Um, making sure that Antonia is elevated and looked after. It yeah. doesn't go so well, but I mean, it starts <laughs> off okay. He tries, he um, tries, yeah. Instituting this whole set of um, privileges for his sisters in terms of connecting them with the privileges of the Vestal Virgins, including them in various oaths. There, you get the sense that family is really his priority and he's trying to lock everything in place so that there's a really secure familial fence around this power structure because 
And I think this is like, you know, a reaction yeah. naturally to the traumas of his childhood. Oh, see, I do also have a slightly more cynical bent to that, which is that family is all he's got. Ouch. You know, I mean, when he comes to power, thanks but to... That, I mean, that's imperialism, isn't it? Well, well, yes and no. I mean, this is the thing. Like, other Tiberius had more going on for him than Caligula did in that he had a political and a military career. Now... We should it pains me that Dr. Dr. Rad is a Tiberius fan. Yeah, look, so it, when she says Tiberius has things going for him, <laughs> I mean, that is... I mean, he got them going on. No, but, uh, no I, I mean that he had a military and political experience. And I admit one of Tiberius's biggest downf- downfalls is uh, not ensuring that Caligula was ready. You know, he, he basically doesn't allow him any position of significance um so he's incredibly inexperienced and so when he comes to power family is the card he's but got Tiberius has a different plan and I think that's worth keeping in mind as well he always saw this as a co-rule situation yeah him and a child though I yeah know. but yeah. Tiberius is trying to preserve his own legacy and Gamellus is closely more closely related to Tiberius than Gaius is so he's trying to bring together these two strands of the family, but also sort of give a bit of preference to his own lineage. He, he totally is. Is, but, is yeah. Gamellus yeah. related to Tiberius, though? Ooh. Or is he Sejanus's uh, illegitimate son? Now that's a can of mucks of pigeons. <laughs> a can of worms right there. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any way we'll ever know. But I, I feel like... Mm. But in terms of like papering it over, yeah. even if it mm-hmm. is Sejanus's child, yeah. uh, you're not going to be able to get him into power yeah. if that's the common knowledge, like if in that's the, the narrative it, around the kid. It's in the, yeah. it's, it's in the same way that Jesus was born of a virgin yet is, <laughs> is descended from King David via his father Joseph. Like, it's just, just amazing look, what you can do with virginity, really. <laughs> look into my eyes. Look into my eyes. Don't look around my eyes. Don't look around my eyes. Look into my eyes. Yeah. Sorry, please continue. No, no, no. I, I think that's a really good point. But I, I feel like Tiberius must have wanted it to be a joint rule because he wanted, he either wanted Gamellus to be seen as his or he legitimately believed that he was that he was his you know, descendant. Because otherwise, why would he bother? Why not just put Caligula in? Yeah, so I mean, Tiberius's ideas for how this should go end up counting for for mood after a certain point because Gaius starts to take certain oh, actions. He totally takes over. <laughs> He's he in decided control. that that's his legacy yeah. and it's not to be shared. And to be honest, that makes sense as well because who would share this kind of power? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. That's not something that's ever happened before. We're only a little way into like what is imperialism in ancient Rome, yeah. but it doesn't look like sharing rule. Well, that's another, I think, important factor that we, we, uh, we the audience, uh, the, the, the students of history need to keep in mind is this hadn't been done in Rome since uh, Superbus. I mean, this hadn't been done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They were familiar with the practices, obviously, of royalty in other parts of the world but this hadn't been done in rome before the transition of power i guess i'm talking about yeah in in any sort of uh, uh hereditary way it was still very early on there was no rule book for how to do it there was no you know precedent you can look at but I have to question this idea that Tiberius had this uh, dual rule in mind. After what had happened in the last few years of his reign, yeah. uh, whether or not you blame 
him for all of the assassinations or uh, Sejanus or a combination of the two, after that legacy, 10 years of just murder and bloodshed, and a lot of them, coincidentally or not, being people that may have been a threat to Tiberius's power, there's no way he could have possibly thought that this was going to go well, this shared power between these two guys after his enemies had been systematically destroyed for the last, well, you know, 20 years, really, if you want to go back to uh, uh, getting rid of um, Agrippina, etc. Yeah, no, look, I think that that's what I mean when I say it's one of his biggest failings. I think it was incredibly foolish for him to act the way he did towards the succession. Um, I, I don't honestly, on one hand, I could, I could maybe think that, okay, maybe he thought Gamellus was going to be a little bit older and therefore it could be kind of a, you know, one of them will emerge victorious and the other one will die sort of situation. And Tiberius was just hoping it would be Gamellus. Um, but he was, he was old when he died. And so I do kind of think that if, if that's what he was thinking, he was incredibly naive. But it's also in keeping with Tiberius's whole sort of stick where he doesn't really see this as something that he wants to be doing so he doesn't really set it up in a particular way but you're quite right uh, Cameron that this is a situation where people haven't really encountered it before they don't know how it's working every uh, person who's coming into this position is unsure about how it works Augustus sort of creates it from scratch in many respects Tiberius is an unwilling inheritor of it and Caligula in a way sort of sets up what is to become the real imperialistic element of it because yeah. he accepts those titles really quite early on. Oh, yeah, he gets them all in the package. Gets, a, <laughs> gets the whole package. Yeah. And this this sets up nicely what's going to come up for the Flavians as well when we finally get rid of the Julio-Claudians. But so that whole imperial package sort of sets up this theory that some scholars have that what Gaius is really interested in is developing a a type of imperialism based on the Hellenistic model, where it's a it's a true monarchical situation. Mm. Mm. Well, let's uh, move on and talk a little bit about the conspiracies. I guess one of the other surprises to me in reading through all of the source materials is when he does start exiling or killing off people it Mm. seems to be connected in one way or another to conspiracies that appear to be going on and that there is with the scant sources that we have. By the way, getting back to the the disappearance of these chapters of Tacitus' (laughs) annals, uh, you know, it also corresponds with the Jesus years. you know, oh. conspiracy uh, or not, uh, deliberately excised when uh, my friend uh, Poggio Bracciolini, I think it was, who discovered uh, the last remaining copy of the Annals. What, what happened to the, the missing Tacitus, do you think? Ooh, that is a very good question. <laughs> I, I'm holding up hope that there's still some Tacitus lying around that we haven't found yet. We surely haven't covered all of the globe Nobody's rigorously oh, searched hey, look, for the rest of the adults. There's still those scrolls buried in the Villa of the Period, Herculaneum. I'm still yes. waiting for them. Yes. 
Dig yes. out a copy of Tacitus, dig out a copy oh. of Agrippina the Youngest memoirs, oh. you know. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting hard. Stop. Yeah. Oh, I Turning can keep going, on. but I won't. I won't. I'm to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a, what a, what a dread. That, the two things that I'm probably most excited about, this is why I'm so much fun at parties, is uh, <laughs> our ability to read the Herculaneum scrolls and the opening of the Pius XI archives in the Vatican later this year. But, uh, Ooh, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Nerds, nerds. When we can uh, travel to Italy again, just you that wait. will be great. <laughs> I'll convert oh, to yes. if it gets me into the archive. <laughs> yeah. So but it does seem back- weird that all of the all of the Caligula, you know, pieces disappearing does seem weird. It yes. is odd. Yeah. And Tacitus is my guy. Like I, I'm just in so I mean, despite his obvious flaws and obvious bias, particularly talking about Germanicus and Tacitus uh, and uh, Tiberius and these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, his writing is superb. Like oh, I'm always blown amazing. away by Tacitus's uh, prose. Oh, I wish and... I wish you could get his hands on Donald Trump. What he would make of him, I would love to see. <laughs> there is so much sass going on in there. Yeah. But there's also a lot of bullshit as well. I mean, Tacitus, Absolutely. like 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 Josephus, who I also I love Josephus, but come on, I mean, you, you can't take these guys as 100 percent credible because there's so much no. bullshit. Obviously, in there, you have to. Not as bad as Suetonius uh, or Dio, but you have to read it all with a little well, bit of yeah. uh, spoonful. That's why, that's why I think you have to love about them. You have to respect the art because you actually yes. have to think about their bullshit. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. trained in rhetoric, and, and part yes. of the process of writing the history is to, to present Convince the rhetorical you. capacity yeah. that they have. So, yes. yeah, it does become a real sifting process, but that's part of yes. the fascination. Yeah. It's part of the fun. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's no different to reading the news today, right? If I read Russia. <laughs> Today and MSNBC and Fox News and The Australian. Okay, Absolutely. none of them are telling me what's really going on. They're all giving <laughs> me an angle. And my job is to try and sort through the bullshit and try and figure out what the raw facts are, right? That what the data is. Anyway, getting let's get back to the conspiracy. So yeah. the, the 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 big one obviously uh, seems to be his uh, commander of the Northern Rhine, um, Gay Tackle. Gatulicus. Um, I uh, can't say that very well, so it's just gay tackle for me. And um, the the connection between him and Tiberius's sisters and his uh, uh, bum boy. I mean, there there seems to be a, a connection there going on that seems to be verified in a couple of the surviving sources um what 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 make you of all of this uh well i'm a big agrippina the younger fan and i definitely think she was conspiring against gaius uh caligula at this point in time i reckon i think she saw that the rain had taken a turn that wasn't going to be sustainable um, and so I think she decided she was going to sort of take the reins a bit. Plus, she, of course, had her own child to look after by this point, who was a, a boy, obviously, whereas Caligula had just had, you know, a baby girl. And so I definitely think that there was I'm, – I'm definitely a believer in the conspiracy. It happened. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think what we know about Agrippina the Younger's later career gives a lot of credence to the fact that she would have definitely been interested and in following what's going on yeah. and dabbling a hand because mm. she's into politics. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. she enjoys she's that cut and thrust. Yeah, she totally is. And, and she sees herself as a player, I think. Oh, so man. she's definitely talking to all of the people around to get a lay of the land to decide what the best move for her is. Yeah. And she's definitely not the favourite of the, the three sisters. That was Drusilla. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... And how sad she must have been that he wasn't, you know, sleeping with her from the time they were children. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing like a little bit of sibling rivalry well, to you, drive your you, caution and your actions. Do you believe that story, though, the the fact that he was having a sexual relationship with Drusilla? Uh, th- th- it doesn't seem to be supported with a lot of evidence, it just seems to be a bit of a snarky, uh, maybe, propaganda. I actually, I don't believe that he was committing incest with all three sisters. I agree that that's just typical Roman sexual innuendo. But there is something about his relationship with Drusilla. It does seem to be... It does seem to be more intense. Yeah, there is something about it, like the way that he mourns her. I mean, I know that they are siblings, so it would be completely legit for him to obviously be sad when his favorite sister has died it's there's nothing really other out of the abnormal sorry out of the normal with him you know naming his daughter after her but it just seems on another level and I must admit I do kind of believe that there was something something going on with Rosilla maybe not like full intercourse (laughs) yeah maybe they didn't go all of the way but there's something about the the clear the emotional intimacy at the very least between these two yeah and when you act like he does in terms of trying to promote her in terms of deification after death and things like that although it's not keeping uh outside of keeping with julio claudian sort of like mechanisms it's usually not done for women no and and also the the whole the whole appeal of the sort of hellenistic monarchic ruling style for that does enable brother and sister relationships that's pretty easy so yeah if that's the theory you're going with that he's actually quite interested in this Hellenistic way of doing things and sees that as the model, then all of a sudden the sisters are on the table. Mm, literally, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, mm. that, that, that's all that, isn't it? They were set for Lohum at the table. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I know, I know you, what you mean. You do think yeah, there's a conspiracy it. going on there that his uh, surviving sisters uh, were plotting to... Bring him down? Wow. Yeah, well, I think Agrippina, Agrippina actually has always reminded me of the Lucilla character in Gladiator in that it was a tragedy that she wasn't born a man because she, I think, was had a real gift for politics and she was legitimately interested in politics. She wasn't after it for the money. She wasn't after it for the luxury. Um, I think she was legitimately interested in the business of ruling and the fact that she happened to be born a woman meant she had to do it through all these other channels. And just look at judge, as, as Dr. G said, judging by her later career, I mm-hmm. totally believe that she was scheming against Caligula. I think she saw mm. him taking mm. his rule in a disastrous direction. She mm. knew it was only going to end one way. And mm. with her son to look after, well, you know, uh, I, I think she had a, a, a yeah. real reason for doing it. How do you set up it. that legacy? Yeah. Um, how much would if you... you... Sorry, go on. No, no, you go. I was going to say, how much would you love to have the autobiography that she supposedly wrote later in life? So much. I would give good money. Yeah. I wouldn't have much, but I'd give it. What's your take on the the plot or not? Well, yeah, you know, it it seems to be. I mean, there are just hints. Um, Mm. I think the... 
the Arvel Brotherhood. There's some record that survived from them about a conspiracy that seems to involve gay tackle and uh, others. And I think there's a record maybe in the Arvel Brotherhood that the Senate congratulated Tiberius when he returned from Germany about the, uh, you know, uh, uh, exposing and surviving the conspiracy. So whether it certainly seems that there was contemporary stories about a conspiracy having been shut down then. And if you you know, uh, um, draw a line between the dots of the way he got rid of gay tackle and Lepidus mm. and his exile of his sisters. And then he, that's when he gets back and goes on the whole, uh, ha I did not destroy these letters. I had them under <laughs> my bed all along. Let me read from them. I mean, it just, it, it, I guess it makes sense that, so he, and again, with, all, with his life up until this point being as fucked up and tragic as it was then to have his two surviving siblings, his sisters betray him and his best friend slash bum boy, uh, Lepidus, uh, who he seemed to be by, by getting him to marry Drusilla, setting him up for you know to to for some sort of um heir to the throne or joint rule or something down the track it just must have gutted him if he wasn't already um on the fringe of emotional and psychological uh, uh collapse that must have taken him right over the edge i think so and the the sense in which up until, from his perspective, he's done everything he can for his family. Mm. And if I try to get inside, you know, the hypothetical character I have in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> what, what would Gaius be thinking? But <laughs> from his perspective, he's done everything he can to salvage and protect his family. Mm. And to find out that that this is, that it's not a return favour. Um intensely emotional experience on top of all of the emotional trauma he's already dealt with. Yeah, I don't blame him for acting in the way that he does. I mean, obviously, it's pretty awful sometimes. I think we can blame him. We I can mean, blame him. There's some pretty terrible I'm, things in there. Yeah, 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 it's pretty terrible. But I mean, I also can see how he is such a twisted person. Um, but all but all of his rage, this is where I think I don't think we can actually go in for the whole he was mad thing because his rage mm. is directed at the people who could be said to have wronged him or represent the people who have wronged him. You yeah, know, he's, he's not insane. No, he's not just hit, he's not just lashing out at anybody. Mm. He tends to be lashing out at the senators, who are of course mm-hmm. the people that were there and either did nothing mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. totally collaborated with mm-hmm. the downfall of his family and then probably mm. subsequent plots. And then we mm-hmm. get this sense as well coming through in the source material, which again always opens a question, but the the people of the city, when he starts turning on the aristocracy, they seem to be mm. enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and fair enough, their situation is is not great. <laughs> and to find out that, you know, the emperor has decided that, uh, you know, some of these people are up for the chop, you can see that the smile starts to widen a little bit. And they're sort of, they're into that. They're like, yeah, let's bring them down. <laughs> I'm up mm. for that. I'm with the emperor mm. on this. Mm. Uh, mm. But unfortunately... Uh, he pivots at a certain point and the people on the street also uh, 
sort of are brought into the sort of people they, who need to be they, targeted. Yeah, for, they do get targeted every now and then, but nowhere near as bad as, I mean, my favorite story with Caligula is without doubt when he summons some senators to the palace in like the middle of the night and they're thinking, of course, that's it. I'm done mm. for, you know, because mm -hmm. he's established his reputation up until this point. Mm. So they're ushered into this room with no explanation and they're left there. And then all of a sudden Caligula just appears, does a musical number and then leaves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. Just, I've, been working, I've been working on some moves uh, from my new TikTok video. I just, I, I just thought, just wanted to test them out on you, you know. It's, Do it's I great. have moves like Jagger or not? Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> great. Private dance, but yeah. <laughs> so, of course, one of the other stories that we always hear in conjunction with Caligula, and it's depicted in the film, mm. is this this behaviour that goes on on the shores when he's going to sail to Britain, uh, yes. supposedly, and then he, yeah. you know, comes back with lots of shells, and there's a lot of you know, bizarre behaviour going on there. But again, when I went through the sources in detail, it actually made quite a lot of sense. Uh, well, mm. t tell me what your take is on that whole episode. Well, I must admit I have come across about 10 different interpretations of what he could have meant when he said, you know, mm. collect the shells, mm -hmm. um, you know, that he could have been talking about tents, as in pack up your tents, but he could have been talking about, you know... Let's like, just modify the Latin slightly. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that he could, have been, he could have been meaning something to do with, you know, let's go and get some girls, you know, like obviously using a sort of euphemism there for her mm -hmm. female body parts. Um and I must admit, I, I agree. I, I think I agree with you. I, I'm getting the gist I agree with you, even though you haven't explicitly said it yet, that I don't think he was actually ordering them to collect seashells. I don't think that that's... He might have been. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that that's, I think that's a, again, a, a twist that the sources have added to make him seem insane. I think my favourite interpretation of this comes yeah. from the sort of like stoic English historians, yeah. uh, the English school, if you like, where they're like, oh, no, he was just out on field manoeuvres with his men. Um, <laughs> it was all about practice. You know, they were never, never going to Britain at all, um, <laughs> just going out and doing some training uh, and, and to try and sort of explain why things might have sounded as ridiculous as they did. What's, uh, your, what's your favourite interpretation, Cameron? Well, it, it seems that there, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in Britain at the time where mm. some of the... Uh, um, British uh, minor kings were warring against each other and pushing out the ones that were still loyal to Rome, that he may have been planning an invasion mm. for that year or the following year, uh, which, of course, we know Claudius ended up following through on that. But Totally. He went down, there is some uh, suggestions that he sailed out to meet or greet or accept a submission of one of the British kings that was still loyal to Rome mm. and, uh, you know, brought him back maybe uh, uh, that it may have also, the shells thing may have been something to do with conquering you know, the, the, the god of the sea, uh, the weather was apparently pretty bad, so he couldn't have. He, he didn't have the ships built, 
But it, it seems to me like he, he was going to Germany. He was going to the Rhine, maybe to take down Gay Tackle, maybe to push forward, maybe. I, I'm not really sure which came first. Did he go there knowing about the conspiracy or did he find out about it on his way there? Or It's, it's very murky, the order of events. But while he was there, he's like, all right, well... We're getting reports that there are problems happening in Britain. Um, it's it's we, we, time that we go over there and take care of that and support our allies. And maybe he went to the coastline to scope it out, to build a lighthouse for a future uh, and get ships built or something for a future expedition. Went out and met this guy that came over from Britain. Anyway, it, it just seems like there is plenty of room there for a logical... Uh, non-completely batshit crazy explanation for what he was doing down there. And again, that all of the stories that we've got about, oh, he was fighting the sea and he came back with <laughs> shells as booty because he was crazy, is pro- it, it just reeks to me of probably anti-Caligula propaganda. And, and the, I, as we were telling the story over the last, I don't know, year or so, um, uh the more I dug into the sources, the more I just smelled bullshit everywhere in the in this, this propaganda. Oh, totally, and it's, yeah. it's like one of those things. Once you smell the bullshit and the <laughs> and the propaganda coming out of the sources, you go, "Oh, hold on a minute!" Like if, <laughs> if this is bullshit, if this is deliberately being engineered to make him look crazy, well, how can I trust anything that smells a little bit funky in the sources? Yeah, uh- I think you've hit upon the the main thing there as well, and that is Claudius. Claudius, of course, goes on to be the conqueror of Britain. And I think that even though obviously obviously Claudius is related to Caligula, he's his uncle, um, and he therefore has to maintain, you know, he, he can't completely trash him to shreds. But coming to power the way he does after Caligula's assassination it's also in Claudius's interest to distance himself where he can from Caligula, to make Caligula out to be much worse than he may have actually been, to discredit him, and also to... He doesn't want to take away from his own military reputation because, like Caligula, Claudius comes to power with no military experience whatsoever. And on top of that, he's got the physical deformities, apparently, um, and he also had to grow up with Germanicus being his freaking brother. <laughs> and um, I kind of yeah. believe that Caligula probably treated him like shit. Probably, Absolutely. you know, I mean, the stories where he goes out to greet him on his way back from the Rhine and Caligula throws him into a river or a lake because uh, he was incensed that the Senate was sending his, whatever his relationship to Claudius was, his uncle, uh, sending his uncle to greet him when he said, you know, don't elevate anyone in my family ever again after he'd been betrayed by his sisters. Uh, yeah. And also he, he hates the Senate if he's discovered that they're conspiring against him. He's furious. He probably treated Claudius like crap and Claudius probably did want to disparage his memory as much as possible without crossing the line where he completely destroys uh, exactly. you know, the credibility of the, the family connection. Yeah. It does get uh, complicated for Claudius and Gaius, though, because oh, Claudius yeah. is also elevated to the consulship by Gaius, I believe, if I recall. He, he right. is, yes. he is, but that's yeah. that's earlier on, I think. Oh, we're already but, dealing with like a four-year period. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, it, it is. I think before like the 
the ultimate betrayal from the his ultimate, sisters. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he does mm. he does do things that sets up Claudius mm. to have this transition later into power. That's but, true, but maybe see, not deliberately. There's a that's what I mean, there's a way of looking at this where okay. I think Caligula did have quite a wicked sense of humor, which is obviously pretty disgusting mm-hmm. at times. And mm. I do, th- I think that by elevating Claudius to the consulship, I think that was actually meant to be a bit of a, a joke. Bad joke. Well, one of his jokes against Claudius, I'm always saying, you know, Claudius gets the, the better end of it in that Caligula's like, hilarious. I'm going to marry my uncle Claudius to like one of the hottest women in Rome. How funny is that? I'm like, mm. if you were Claudius, you'd be like, yeah, keep, keep those sorts of jokes yeah, yeah. coming. You know, uh, I like that. Okay. I, like, I like the humor. Yeah. Good job, buddy. <laughs> You're right. Punish yeah. me. Punish me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the same sort of humor that sort of leads to these reports that Caligula says things about Caesonia. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to have to torture you to figure out how much, I, why I love you so yeah, much. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I could just see her sitting there uh, being like, do it. They, yeah. they yeah. and Caligula hands down have uh, the kinkiest relationship in the uh, Julia Claudian family, and sexy. that is saying something. Yeah. Sexy. So sexy. Um, uh, and, and when he says he's going to make his horse a senator, again, it seems quite obvious when, when you read the sources in detail, he is probably going, look, you know, you're all as dumb. I could make my horse a senator, and he would be a better senator than any of you because you're all a bunch of obsequious morons. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, so you can see the legitimate critique that he's making of the Senate get twisted against him yeah. by uh-huh. the anti-Caligula source material, which makes sense because he gets the Senate so offside. Yeah. Uh, so it's a problem for him in terms of his legacy, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Should have that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think he's up there with Richard III as being most... Uh, <laughs> having the unfairest legacy left to him by the surviving literature and uh, or, or lack thereof. Well, that's um, actually that's actually something I'd love to hear your your overall take on because I know that you have been going real deep with Caligula and you've mm-hmm. gone through his reign in lots of detail. Overall, as an actual ruler, what is your opinion of him now? Do you think he was okay, or do you think that his uh, his twisted nature still made him bad? Just no, you're not in the way that the sources suggested. Uh, well, yeah, we did twenty four episodes, so twenty four hours uh, yeah. on. Caligula, including the film at the beginning. And um, I don't think he ranks as a good ruler. I, I think, you know, you look at the pleasure barges and building <laughs> the bridge to, to ride his uh, chariots over. Uh, it seems, I, I mean, it just strikes me as a rich kid with no figures of, no mentors left, particularly once he gets rid of Macro and Solanus. Um, mm. he, he's had a brutal childhood. I mean, but these these equal mixtures of horror and luxury that he's grown up in, which of course is is probably not dissimilar to many children in royal families uh, through the ages. But this was unusual for Romans, and. Yeah. And he's so there's there's no there's no one really to advise him. There's no one to guide him. Tiberius didn't like him, as uh, Augustus didn't really like Tiberius. I think so. There's this generational uh, um, uh, tension, but uh, in in this transition of powers, not very well established, as we said before. I think he he beca- he's like any other twenty five, twenty six year old 
man who all of a sudden is the richest, most powerful person in the country. Yeah. He just, uh, you know, he, he as we said, <laughs> Ray and I laughed about this on the show. Like, I th- I'd like to think that if, if I was given that amount of power and wealth, even at this age, I'm nearly 50, but if, when I was 25, I like to think I would be, um, you know, uh, uh, I'd, I'd be pretty responsible with it at first. I'd say, now, listen, everyone, don't, don't, and as he did, look, don't, don't give me any special greeting in the street. I'm just a man like you. Everyone, this is, this is, look, uh, don't, don't think about it, right? It's, look, I just inherited this. I don't really want it, but I guess I have a responsibility, <laughs> tradition, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like that for probably six months. And then I think after about six months, I'd go, can you bring me a Coke? And when they'd go, no, I'm busy, I'd go, I said, can you bring me a Coke? Yeah. And then within another six months, it'd be just stand on one foot completely naked uh, for an hour. I just want to see what you can do. And, you know, a year after that. I'd be like, yeah, plucking people's eyeballs out just to see what happens. Like, I, I think that that amount, it doesn't matter who you are, that amount of wealth and power is going to be incredibly difficult. Like Augustus had a gripper and yeah. Macenus and these other guys around him earlier for decades to moderate. He was a young man as well. And, and obviously had the second triumvirate to to navigate and all of that kind of stuff. But even then, he had these guys around him. He had the he had the best friend that anybody's ever had in Agrippa to kind of go, dude. Seriously, like grow the fuck up, cut it out. Like you know, <laughs> calm, calm down. Let's go. Let's go clean the 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 sh- the the, um, the shit ducks out of Rome. Okay, like you know, let's go build stuff and clean stuff and do something good. With all of the power that you've you've got, let's make Rome great again. Uh, let's maga well, Mara. Let's Mara <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, Caligula didn't have that, and I just feel like I feel like a lot of the stories that we've inherited are probably bullshit. But at the same time, he was probably profligate and just partied all the time. And again, he was twenty five, and he probably thought he was going to live to seventy five. Like Tiberius and Augustus, he thought he had 50 years ahead of him to do stuff, to build temples and build roads and conquer countries and, you know, uh, improve the, the, the land uh, grants to the veterans. And yeah, he had 50 years. He was just like, hey, I'm going to enjoy it. I thought I was going to be dead all these years. Everyone around me was getting killed. Oh, now I'm, I'm the king. I'm going to party. <laughs> And uh, and then and then the conspiracy started happening, and he was just uh, I guess pushed over the edge. But I want to I want to finish up by talking about the final conspiracy because again, you know the 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 way I had kind of uh, um, been given the story or believed the story before doing this the work was that he was killed because he was crazy. Yeah, I don't mm. think that is true. Now no. I think there's a deeper story. What's your take on who was behind the final assassination and what they were hoping to achieve? Well, I, I definitely think that it seems to come from two groups mostly, the Praetorians and the Senate. It's a little bit... The motivation that I think we're given for the Praetorians is a little 
a little off. I mean, the Senate, you can understand by this stage why they would want him dead because, I mean, he's, he's talking about getting rid of them altogether. He's talking about, you know, who needs you? You know, now, now we've got this new system. Who needs you? I can do this. You know, I've got I've got my freedmen working back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can understand completely why the Senate want him gone. The suggestion in the sources is, of course, that the Praetorians um, start getting involved because particularly one Praetorian, Caligula, Korea. had ins- yeah, uh, yeah, um, Caligula had in- insulted um, uh, his sexuality. Uh, he you know, started mm-hmm. making out like he was somehow effeminate or involved in homosexual mm-hmm. acts or something like that. That mm-hmm. seems like, a, even though I know, you know, Roman man, masculinity is is everything. It seems like a little bit of a weak. It does seem like a, a flimsy yeah. pretext. Mm-hmm. To, to go as far as assassination. For a whole conspiracy. Yeah I, yeah, I feel like he must have been roped into something by the senators. And mm-hmm. that's the story that we get from senatorial mm-hmm. sources that, you know, that he drove it and that he got senators involved. But I think it's probably the other way around. What do you reckon, Dr. G? Uh, I think this is a really interesting moment in Roman history because the the nature of this story essentially that we're given is that it does involve the senators and yeah. it does involve the Praetorian tribunes. Yeah. And this union between what is what are supposed to be two sort of distinct branches yeah. coming together for common cause. Mm. Um, this is going to sort of pave the way for everything that happens Absolutely. from this point onwards because it will reveal the nature of power as being based in the military. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, in, it's an important narrative. What actually happened, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, there's an element, speaking of the common cause, I think it's not just so much, obviously Caligula's erratic behaviour is something that they could unite over, I suppose. But there is that that story about Caligula enlisting some Germanic or Gaulish bodyguards, which would seem to imply that he doesn't trust trust the Praetorians. Yeah, he doesn't trust the Praetorians. And so there might be, their common cause might be in a sense that they both feel that Caligula is making them irrelevant. Yeah, and there's something anti-Roman about the way that he's starting to behave. Yeah. Uh, just because you're in charge of everything doesn't mean you can't, well, I mean, yeah, you can't work with the system. He's apparently walking around dressed as Aphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, yeah. if that's not a feminine, I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, I mean, like, the, the idea of, like, instil- as you sexy. say... Yeah, yeah it bring it out, mm. bringing the sexy mm. back. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and maybe the Praetorian Tribune is uh, not very happy about that because he's having some feelings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, I've got to get rid of this man before it's too late. <laughs> All I want to do is lie down and let it happen. Uh, if I kill him, I kill my inner urges. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that's uh, that's my take. What's, uh, what's yours? What did well, you and Ray conclude? Well, uh, Ray doesn't conclude anything. He just <laughs> believes what I tell him. Uh, but my, my, my question really was more around what were they hoping to achieve? Was it just uh, killing killing Caligula and then what? Mm. Or were they trying to restore the Republic in the process? It seems pretty likely that the answer to that is no. Because uh, they very quickly, like the Praetorians are also involved very quickly in getting Claudius onto the scene. Mm. Um, there's exit stage left, Gaius, enter stage right, Claudius. <laughs> uh, but so there but just some seems of to be the a broader sources, plan there. 
Some mm. of the sources say they tried to kill Claudius as well, but they couldn't find him. <laughs> that curtain. That curtain was that a cloak curtain. of invisibility. Because he was so hiding behind. Thick, that curtain. <laughs> well, we don't know where the curtain was, and there was probably a lot of curtains. Are those shoes? No, I don't see any sandals there. Keep going, and guys. that he was whisked away by some of the Praetorians, mm. um, and then they obviously managed the transition if the conspirators were trying to get rid of not just Caligula, they also obviously killed Sezonia and um, Drusilla, the younger, uh, mm. younger, 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 and uh, and then they were trying to kill Claudius as well. It does, if if there's any truth in it, it does look like they were trying to pull a Michael Corleone and take out the heads of the families all in one all in one go, which would of course mean that either somebody else would have to step up into the role of emperor uh, or they were going to try and restore the republic and i think I this idea what, that mm. of restoring the republic is fascinating because it comes back again and again but the further we get away from the actual republic and i'd say at this stage mm. we're at least a good century away from anything resembling the republic the, not, not, not the true republic. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. The, yeah. Le, the less likely it is that you're going to be able to restore it because none of the people involved actually know what that looks like. Yeah. Like, how do you yeah. how do you take down somebody and then institute a mm. republic? Uh, <laughs> a system that you've never seen. And a system that mm. you've never seen and you mm. don't know how to distribute the majesties and you'd have to do it almost instantaneously for it to be effective. Well, I mean, this is the classic scene, though, isn't it, that we get? We get the scene of the senators. I, I totally see where you're coming from, Cameron, in that definitely I think there was an intent to say, right, this family has done enough damage. It's <laughs> we're done. done. With them. Yeah, we're, we're done with mm. them. Um, mm. And so definitely the intent was to wipe out the family line. But some Praetorians obviously caught on to the fact that, wait a second, if there's no emperor, we become much less significant and hold much less power in Rome. And they decide to save Claudius and take him away. While they're busy doing that, the Senate are talking. And, which is and what it, they do best. Which is what they do best. And they're trying to say, oh, maybe maybe, maybe uh, Joe or maybe Bob <laughs> could take over. Um, like Marcus for the role. Exactly. Or, or maybe we share. And whilst they're wasting time talking. <laughs> They've presented, the Praetorians have presented Claudius. Yeah, and that's, mm. that's the tragedy I think the sources are trying to highlight, that, you know, the Senate are making themselves obsolete by their inability to act when it comes, when, you know, when the crunch time comes. Which, which had been going on, obviously, for a long time. I remember when we were doing Tiberius, uh, certain scenarios early on in, when he'd gone to Capri uh, and some, you know, something had happened, I can't remember what it was, and he was saying to the Senate, well, you just deal with it. And they were, they were too scared to deal with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. dithering. And he was like, oh, what is the, what's the fucking <laughs> point of you guys, really? <laughs> you have one job. Make decisions on things I that, I, that are oh, important wait, I enough. Pay you. That's right. And yeah. this is why I yeah. kind of love these ideas that somehow the Senate is kind of like, we'll restore the Republic. And I'm like, how? You, don't, you guys don't even know how to do anything anymore. But they've got, <laughs> they've got Cicero. You know, they've, they've, they've got this massive archive of, of documentation about how it worked they've got uh, res publico they've got things that obviously we don't have there must have been libraries absolutely replete with the history of the republic and the governing uh, of yes. the republic but and I, all I of that i can read about Gaius's life but i can't be emperor 
Well, they, yeah, but they didn't have to. I mean, they, they had consuls. They had people occupying all of the traditional roles. I mean, the the, power, the level of power that they had wasn't the same, but they had tribunes and they had senators. I mean, yes, they would have had to go to boot camp to figure out how to make decisions, <laughs> but the roles still existed. The, 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 the structure of the Republic was still there, however faded and flimsy and, and fi- you know, it's been, what, by this stage, uh, by 40, it's uh, 70 years, 80 years <laughs> since it's really stood. So three generations, maybe, four generations, uh, depending on where you want to take it. But the, I want to get back to the this conspiracy at the end. So the, to me, as you said before, this whole thing about Cassius Correa, the Praetorian Tribune, having a high-pitched voice and being... Uh, uh, insulted because Caligula made the password pussy or cock just seems completely <laughs> ridiculous to me, you know, from a Roman perspective, let alone a modern perspective. But there's this guy, Scribonianus, mm. Lucius Sorrentius Camillus Scribonianus. Mm. Now, he is brought up in a minor way in our surviving sources as being involved at some level with Korea in the conspiracy or being aware of it. Mm. He obviously survives and a year later tries to overthrow Claudius, ends up uh, committing suicide, I think, after that, and then his sons try and overthrow Nero. So <laughs> Can't trust a lot of them. <laughs> They're a dangerous is, family. <laughs> and and you go back, he was one of the guys that was accused of maestas by Sejanus, I think, during the Tiberius era. And Tiberius <laughs> just went, nah, those guys, those guys are fine. Don't worry about those guys. It's all just talk. Don't worry about it. Back before Tiberius had completely uh, lost his marbles too. Um, before he would have you killed or Sejanus would have you killed if you just looked askance at them. So... Scribonius, is invo- Scribonius and his sons are involved in the sources I mentioned with respect to conspiracies against Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. This says to me there's a family tradition here of trying to either just overthrow the Julio-Claudians for something else or to restore the Republic. This isn't a, a one-time deal. Oh, Caligula's crazy. He'd been at it before Caligula, maybe at least talking about it, at least accused of talking about it. Is 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 trying to do it after Caligula? You know, it it, it just seems to me there's there's more to the story here. Oh, look, there's definitely, I think, some senators that hang out there for the Republic. I mean, Tacitus, for heaven's sakes, is one of them, you know, in that he definitely has a, a serious... So much nostalgia. ...serious romance for, for the Republic. Um, but as you've highlighted, none of them are successful. And I think that this is the, the one of the issues. I don't think there's enough of them that are that committed, you know, to go from generation to generation looking for it. Like there there might always be a small core group that are, you know, really, really dedicated to it. But I don't know that the others are as committed. And even, even if they were, there is something seriously wrong with the Senate in that they never really seem to get their act together. Um, You know, they never seem to be able to pull it, pull it together. And, and that's the whole thing of going back to them, you know, sitting around talking about restoring the Republic. While meanwhile, Claudius is being extorted for a princely sum by the Praetorians in order that he may live and, and not only live, but rule. Um, 
and 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 this is the this is the thing about one man rule isn't it it's just more efficient you know to to make those decisions particularly if you've got a military backing um, and so I, I, I do agree with you. There's definitely some senators out there that Claudia should be afraid of who are taking it seriously. But I don't know that they've got I don't know that they've got it together enough to actually do what they're talking about. Claudius is well, obviously, obviously they nervous. Don't, yeah, because they don't Claudius succeed. is obviously nervous. He doesn't yeah. want to go back to Rome. I for think there's something, <laughs> there's something quite interesting about the fact that there's this family legacy of rebellion yeah. against the Julio Claudians as well. And I think the insight that I take away from something like this is that family structures are the core of Roman society, yeah. even under the imperial period. And mm. in a way that we as like individualistic Western thinking approaching family now, we don't quite understand this huge legacy of duty that mm. comes from having a particular family name, mm. having mm. to live up to your ancestors, having to walk past mm. the statues, statues and yeah. masks of mm. your... It's like being a Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Every it's the closest has... thing I can come to it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> they all have this legacy and they're constantly reminded of their family history. And mm. for each generation that comes forward that they're, they're sort of schooled in their own family legacy yeah. and mm. you've got to live up to it so it's like well if grandpa tried to do away with tiberius and restore the republic maybe i should try to do away with claudius and restore the republic it's kind of, you know, it's like, kind of the the brutus story too right it's absolutely. like uh, yeah you know what, what did your ancestor do by the way wasn't scribonianus that tried all i mean he was involved in claudius it was uh finicky anus as I like to call him, Vinicianus, who was uh, the one that had successive attempts and then his sons did. Vinicianus was involved in Scribanianus's uh, overthrow, attempted overthrow of uh, Claudius a year later. Yeah, well, it's there's something there. I mean, I guess my my end point on Caligula is yeah, yeah definitely definitely not a great um, emperor by any stretch of the imagination. But also, I don't think he was batshit crazy. I think he inherited a shit show. And um, for whatever reason, there was just a whole successive series of uh, conspiracies and attempts on his life. If that poisoning, that illness was, in fact, one um, that uh, just made him crack down hard in, in survival mode. Yeah. And um, in the end, you know, that just probably made the opposition to him even worse than it already was. And uh, he got whacked, and then the the later historians told us, well, he was batshit crazy, and that's been how he's been remembered ever since. Yeah, he he's even though we don't have Tacitus, what we do have in Suetonius and you know a couple of other sources, it does smack of giving him all the ticker box characteristics of a tyrant. Um, you know, and, and taking us down this path where eventually we're going to be subjected to the end of this story about power corrupting, which, of course, is Nero. He's the punchline. And Caligula is, you know, the next step along from Tiberius. He's got to be worse and he's got to have he's got to have all the characteristics in terms of being a sexual deviant, being profligate mm. with money, um, mm -hmm. being cruel, all of those mm -hmm. sorts of things. He's got to have everything. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for your takes on Caligula, doctors. Uh, tell us what you're talking about on the uh, fisting podcast uh, at the moment. <laughs> oh, at the moment, we're deep in the early Republic. So I think we're around about 
456. We're, we're about to talk about the 12 tables. We're so close to talking yeah. about the 12 tables, but we've said that for about a year or so now. Yeah, the, the, senat <laughs> yeah, the senators of your era would be having wet dreams about the period that we're covering because they're like, the Republic. It's the true Republic. We're <laughs> finally <laughs> in it. Uh. Um, but it is, it is a very interesting time period, this early Republican thing, where they're trying to figure out who they want to be and how they want to do it. And we know mm. our narrative sources are not giving us everything. Mm. <laughs> well, they're, they're, I mean, yeah, the, the crazy thing is that our sources are from your time period. <laughs> so. mm. Mm. <laughs> and they're trying really hard, but they have an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, most of the uh, history, historical coverage you get today of the american revolution uh, or yes. you know i i in our, in our shows in our like uh more modern shows like our cold war series when i always refer to the american founding fathers as the original tax dodgers um <laughs> you know the, the the after hundreds of years the sanitization of the story has uh, had a lot of time to develop and i'm sure it's the same in this case right with the romans absolutely yeah that, that mm. and the fact that most of their records of this time would have been destroyed when the Gauls sacked Rome, presumably. <laughs> mm. They're make, making it up as best they can. They're like, yes, yeah, yeah. so let me just put these pieces back together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make it sound glorious. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, they do a good job. They do a good job. <laughs> All right. So for uh, our listeners, the sake of our listeners, they can find you on uh but well, just search for partial historians on uh the interwebs oh, yeah. yes yeah put us into um, the internet you'll definitely find yeah us. we're pretty much on every podcast platform you can find and of course mm. we're on all the social medias <laughs> has spotify reached out to you yet to give you a rogan deal uh not, not quite yet. we're waiting we're waiting we presume, <laughs> we presume it's in the mail but it's just been delayed because of covid yeah yeah. Oh, that would be it. Well, when I get mine, I'll I'll, I'll call you up and I'll let you know the uh, thank details. Thank you. And... That would be great. I'll tell them it's I'll tell them it's a. It's a it's back on. It's it's a it's a twofer. I'll tell them you got to you got to oh. take uh, the partial historians if you want to get us. <laughs> thank you so much. That's the way to do it. <laughs> thank you, doctors. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. Thanks for coming on. We'll get you back on at the end of either Claudius or Nero if you. Uh, if you uh, yeah. oh, look, anything that involves it. Agrippina the Younger, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, sounds <laughs> like it. There. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. At the insistence of the Senate and the people of Rome, I accept the highest office of our great republic.